morning, church. Hey, if you have a Bible, open it with me, if you would, to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're starting a brand new series called 8G, 8G. I don't know what's on your phone. Some of you are 4G folks. Some of you are like 4G LTE folks. Never truly had that fully explained to me. Some of you are 5G 5G fakers. Like, is it really? Who knows? What if I told you God was 8G? I want to uh, invite you to a summer series starting this morning, uh, which will be an overview of the Bible. I get probably more requests and have for a long time to do a series or survey like this. And so uh, we have abbreviated it 8G. And I'm going to have you fill that in with me on the outline. If you didn't get a Bible, if you didn't get an outline, do we still have ushers in the room or did they all go to the coffee bar? (laughs) Uh, Raise your hand. The the outlines are just sort of a a helpful tool, uh, really just to keep me on pace, but also just to encourage you to take some notes, to jot some things down. Uh, when I was a little kid, I grew up at Forced Home, uh, which is just a shout out for camp. And to see these hundred kids this morning head off to Hume Lake, uh, camp is where God really got a hold of me. And uh, so if you're the parents this morning of, of high school students that miss camp, get them to camp. If you're middle school families, sign them up. Get them to camp. I totally believe in drugs, especially when it includes drugging. I was drugged to camp. I was totally drugged to camp. I didn't want to go. My heels that were in the sand, and yet my mom and dad drugged me. They drugged me to church. They drugged me to camp, and uh, and now actually I stand on this stage very very grateful uh, that they did drug me. Uh, Get your kids to camp. When I was a kid, the book that was super popular, uh, even to the extent that Billy Graham embraced it and endorsed it and then published it as a crusade edition, was a book by Henrietta Mears, who was the founder of Forced Home, came out of Hollywood Press. My mom and dad were married at Hollywood Press, their, their wedding Uh, And a lot of their courtship happened through the influence and leadership of Henrietta Mears. Uh, Their wedding reception was in her home up in Beverly Hills. Uh, She had an incredible impact in my life. We have pictures of me sitting on her lap. And uh, she was known as the teacher of teachers. And her most famous and popular book was a book called What the Bible is All About. What the Bible is All About. Jot that down. Grab a hold of it. Get a copy of it. If you can grab a first edition out of the 60s, you'd be a rock star. It'd be a great addition to your library. Or there is now a very colorful, visual, new edition of her book, uh, What the Bible is All About. Billy handed it out at all of his crusades. Um, and a lot of this series comes from the very fact that that's how I was impacted and fell in love with the Bible. And I hope that that would actually be the results of a series such as this that we'll embark on uh, this morning. Uh, Here's 
kind of my thought and heart. Uh, and I'll, what I'll do this morning is really give you an overview of the overview. And then uh, we'll be jumping into this over the course of the following weeks. Uh, an overview of the overview, if you will. And it comes really out of 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I just want to read this to you. And I'm going to kind of like start a little bit earlier than the verse that will pop up on the screens that is actually here for you on the outline. Because I really think that it relevantly sets the tone and the time and the sequence of why we need a series such as this. Paul writes, verse 1, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, and men will be lovers of themselves. It doesn't say lovers of the Bible. Here, here's really the big breakdown. Lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Why? What happened? They closed the book. They stopped believing in the Bible. They stopped studying it. They stopped reading it. They started living for themselves and, their, and themselves alone. Verse 5 sums it all up and says, having a form of godliness, but denying its power. What an indictment. They closed the book. They stopped coming to men's. Didn't see the relevance of coming to a small group, a women's group, a, 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 an idea it was foreign to them, actually, of Stephen standing up here and saying, we'd love to see you open up your homes. Here's the deal. A church to call home, we got a lot of Christians that are homeless. There's nothing healthy about being homeless. And, and now Paul would write and say, and here are the results of Christians becoming homeless, of kind of closing up shop and cutting off the very lifeline of what this book provides in knitting our hearts with the very heart of God. And they come up with their own form of godliness, denying its power, and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who have creeped into households and make captives of gullible women and loaded down with sins and led away with various lusts, always learning but never able to come to a knowledge of the truth. Janus and Jammers resisted Moses, and do these also resist the truth? Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Ultimately, he gives to us the solution. Here's the solution. Read it with me. It's in verse 16. Can you read it with me? Let's read it together. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Ladies, you're not left out. I know this translation probably predates some new woke version of the Bible. But it's simply referring to all of us that the problems laid out at the beginning of chapter 3 in 2 Timothy are solved by opening up the scriptures. Come on, church, someone say amen. All right, welcome home. This is what we're going to do. We're going to survey, fill this in, a survey of how the Bible connects. How it connects. How it actually connects. How it connects together and how it connects culturally and, and cures. I mean, ultimately, 
heals the things that we are inundated with right now. In a world that has fallen out of step with God, a survey of how the Bible connects, how it came to be, I want to spend a little bit of time, maybe some of you have never really seen how this book came to be. And we can oftentimes, I think, probably all of us, I could just pretty much say conclusively, all of us at times take it for granted, don't we? So how, how, how does this Bible connect? How's it, how did it come to be? Um, and, and, and how it calls to us. Isn't it absolutely fascinating? You've heard me say this a number of times. Um, there's a lot of books you can read. There's only one book that reads you. Right? And this is it. And when you open it, it is calling you. It's calling you home. It's calling you in. If 99 got on that bus this morning, the Lord is still concerned about the one who didn't go and is calling out to that one. How the Bible calls, how it connects, how it came to be, and how it cuts. It cuts. How many know this morning the Bible cuts? When you open it, it is sharper than a two-edged sword, like a double-bladed sword. And it cuts. It has the ability of separating even marrow from the bone and the joint from the sinew. It cuts. And it also corresponds relevantly to our day. It is not some archaic, historic, dust-filled, no longer applicable book. No, it corresponds. And then ultimately we want to see in a survey such as this how it all concludes. And I love what Paul says when he says this. Fill this in with me. Fill this in. When he says that all Scripture is given by inspiration, fill this in. Here's what it means. That all scripture is God-breathed. That's what inspired means. God-breathed and spirit-filled. It is God-breathed. When it says inspired, it is in spirit. It is in step with the very heart and cadence and purpose and desires of God for your family, for your marriage, for your future, for ultimately uh, how it all would rest and land. It is a book that is God-breathed. It is a book that is spirit-filled. It is thirdly a book that is what? Satan-hated. Absolutely detests and hates and opposes the very thought and jot and tittle and breath and spoken word of God through this book into our lives, Satan hates, it always has. It's good for us to realize that, that it's a war, it's a battle over our heart and over our homes, and the victory is found here in the pages of Scripture, how it corresponds to your needs and concerns and issues today. How ultimately it promises to conclude for those of us, the people of God, we'll see in upcoming weeks. This book actually poses no standard of hope whatsoever for the non-believer. But for the believer, wow, this would be a summer-worthy project for us. And I think a lot of this sort of 
flowed from the idea that I, I know for some of us, here's, here's what I love. When we gather together, church, this, this, is, this goes without saying, but let me just sort of like compliment you on this. We come together with a shared love of God's word. That's what brings us together today. That's what places this exercise on a priority amongst everything else that was rivaling for your time this morning. This is our love for the Bible. It's our love for the Lord. It's our love for worship. It's our love for study. And so I realize for some in the room, probably the vast majority, this will be a review of the fundamentals. But a needful review nonetheless. For exactly the statistics would point out what's happening and as the teams would all gather for a season that was forthcoming, they would gather together and review in their spring training times the fundamentals. For others, I realize this is going to be brand new. It's going to be, wow, I have never, ever been taught or told or shown how this whole thing came together. This is going to be cool. Regardless of where you're coming from, whether this would be sort of a much-needed review of the fundamentals, and, and we put fun into the fundamentals here at Horizon. Or whether this would be like a brand new enlightenment for you. Listen, um, the view will be worth the climb. Let's do it together. Let's launch into this uh, together. So Lord, we will and we do ask your anointing and blessing on this series. Fresh eyes to see uh, the miracle of your word coming together and remaining even still with us today. May we fall in love with the Bible this summer. May this summer be known for that. Oh man, that was the summer when I, did, I re-engaged and fell in love with the Lord and his word all over again. For your glory, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen? Hey, real quick, turn to Luke 24. Luke chapter 24, Jesus here himself, and I want you to see it in front of all of his disciples and followers, puts the emphasis that we all should put on his word. You know, the Bible tells us that he places his word above his own name. That's the preeminence of this book and the pages that you hear turning right now. And he would describe it this way in the very last few verses of the Gospel of Luke. He, he, he comes to them, and, 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 and in verse 36, as uh, they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said, Peace, shalom, shalom, shalom of God, the peace of God to you. But they were terrified, and they were frightened. They supposed that they had seen a spirit. Remember, this is now post-resurrection. They'd seen him die. And yet here he is, conquering death, coming into their midst. They're freaked out. They're terrified. They're frightened. They feel as if they have lost their moorings. And he speaks into their life and says, peace, peace, peace to you. They thought it was a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do you have doubts? Why do doubts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet. Come, it's, my, it's me. Come, feel me. Handle me. For a ghost, a spirit doesn't have flesh and bones as you see that I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy and marveled, he said to them, have you any food? Okay, so he wants to prove the point even further as we've seen in previous studies. And they gave him a piece of 
fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and he ate it in their presence. Here's the point. That's exactly how he describes the word of God. It is the bread of life. And we are to be the ones who feast on him. It is him as we open up his word. It is him that we are feasting upon. That we are filling our hungry souls with. And that's exactly how he would describe himself as in fact he has also described his very word. Then he said to them, verse 44, look at this. These are the words. Now remember, they don't have the Bible in front of them yet. It has yet to be written at least where the New Testament is concerned, would be decades before it ultimately would be complete. And so, listen, he says, these, these are the words, his very words, his life, the bread of, I am the bread of life. He said, listen, these are the words which I've spoken to you while I was still with you, that all, look at this, all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses, In other words, in that particular section of the book, the Pentateuch, the the Torah, the first five books, the books of Moses, the law of Moses, and the prophets. So another complete huge section. You have the law, you have the prophets, you 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 have poetry, you have all these sections of scripture. And what ultimately he's wanting us to realize this morning as he desired to see his disciples clue in as if the light bulb went on for them to realize that it's all what? Pointing where? To him. All things must be fulfilled that were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms. So there are your three compartments that make up the Old Testament. And he's saying all of those were written concerning me. He is the fulfillment of Scripture. And then in saying that, look at this, look at this, look at this. Pray this in. Just claim, church, claim this with me. This is it. This is huge. He opened their understanding. Wow, what a summer this would be if we just believed and claimed that's what he's going to do. Amen? That he would open our eyes. He would open our understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. It's a beautiful passage. It's a beautiful passage that then goes on and says that, 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 that he declares that thus it is written and thus it was necessary for Christ to, to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day that the repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem and you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the promise of the Holy Spirit. He's like, he's like tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power on high and then go, man, go. Go into all the world. Go to Mission Beach. Go to San Diego. Go to Coronado. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. And he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven, and they worshiped him, and they returned to Jerusalem with great Joy, there's that joy that was previously missing in verse 41. And maybe you came in without that and could go out with that. Hallelujah. They returned with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Amen. End of Luke. It's like a story big in a sequel. 
right? You're on your edge of your chair like, what happens next? And that's really what we need to get back to is an excitement and fervency for the word of God. There's a, a, a great little nugget in scripture. It's, it's, uh, and, and it says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Incidentally, what is the sequel to the gospel of Luke? Anyone? Acts. Acts is part two. Written by Luke, inspired very much by by the heart of Almighty God to see this thing that's been promised come to fruition. Oh, taste and, do you all know that one? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Here's the deal with that. For a lot of you this morning, I'll just speak on your behalf. Can I just do so for a minute? You give me permission? That's out of order. And we'll probably be a skit at camp this week. Where kids either being blindfolded or like some type of a prank going down. It's how I started. I was a youth guy for years. Where kids would be enticed into tasting something they have not seen. What is it? Right? And we'd put trout in a blender and get them to sort of... You know, guess what? what? I know, I know, crazy. Like, whatever, guilty as charged. For a lot of us, it's like, it's like, even your moans is admitting we know it. And, and I, think for, I think for a lot of people, they're like, no way, not a chance. I want to see it before I taste it. And, and, and here the Lord would be saying this to us. You'll never see the sequel. You'll never see the dots connect until you first believe before you see. It's not see and taste, North County, as much as that logically makes sense in your Ivy League trained brain. It's to... Come on, say it. Taste and see. Taste and see. Or there will be, Charlie, there will be no sequel. That's what he's saying to us. But this is the God-breathed, spirit-filled, Satan-hated formula to the Scripture. And how sadly we have fallen short of that. To the extent of even stubbornly justifying our position where, no, 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 man, it, it, it makes a lot more sense to me. I ain't tasting nothing until I see what I'm tasting. The just shall live by faith and not by sight. And living by sight has gotten us into the perilous position to which we are now in. The reality is the vast majority of our friends and neighbors and co-workers have checked out and are not seeing what you see this morning because they have not believed what you're believing this morning. 
They have not stepped into a position of faith and tasting and seeing that the Lord is good. There was a recent poll, a dour poll, I would say, absolutely discouraging poll taken by George Barna. You can look it up on Google for yourself. As to what has now become the overwhelming worldview, and it's anything short of a biblical worldview. In fact, in the survey, he limited things to an audience of born-again Christians, people who identified themselves as being born again, and then asked, which is a very small collection, sadly to say, a remnant, a minority. And of that surveyed group, the question was asked pertaining to their worldview, and only 19% of the born-again types admitted having a, a worldview based on the Bible. A biblical worldview. That, that scares the daylights out of me. What's happened, church? What's happened to us? That ni- 19% of the born-again types, that's less than one out of five, are espousing a biblical worldview. What is a biblical worldview? Fill it in. It believes that this is true. Cover to cover. Are you with me? Is there more than one? Amen? Amen. It's true, and it's, it's, it's not only true, it's accurate. It's right. It's correct. It is, it's true, and it's, and, it's, and it's correct. And thirdly, it's applicable. That's a biblical world view. Now, here's what's scary. For families with kids aging 5 to 13, the stats drop like a rock, where this biblically held worldview position is concerned, which now incidentally is being replaced in our culture by a, by a dominant, and, 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 and uh, you can just peel it back as much as you want and realize the same core layer heart of this whole Critical race theory worldview is Marxist at heart. Um, You begin to survey families with kids in our community. Kids raging in age from 5 to 13. And the stats drop from a a, a 19% abysmal rate to begin with down to 5. And then if we were to interview the kids themselves, the millennials, ranging in age from 18 to 29, the stats sink to 2%. So I don't know if you like came in saying, I don't know if we really need an overview of the Bible, Bob. The worldview in which we are saturated and living within is anything but biblical. Seeing this book as true has gone out the window. Seeing this book as, as, as right and applicable. So it's, I think, absolutely a critical time for a reset series like this. Returning once again to our roots. 
And so let me just sort of like declare a couple things as we get going. Fill them in with me. At the outset, let me just say this is one book, one complete book right here. We're not looking for more books to be added to this book. It is complete. This one book doesn't need a revised version, doesn't need sort of a pink book to go along with the... No, it's one book. Now, it has 66 books contained within making one book. One book written by, come on, one author. Well, there's like 1,500 different authors, Bob. No, no, there's one author who inspired all of these folks by the presence and leading of his Holy Spirit to write what they wrote. You got one book, you got one author, and one subject. Oh, there's a lot of different subjects in this book, Bob. I mean, some of them are like totally, listen, all subjects in this book point to one subject, that being Jesus. And that will be my duty over the course of the next number of weeks to point out where Jesus shows up throughout these pages of Scripture. Maybe in ways that you've never seen him before. Because there's one theme to the book, and that's God's love for you. And not wanting you to be lost. So I really find this absolutely fascinating. And here's sort of now my overarching overview, sort of like this universal graphic scape over the planet to which he declares to us in, 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 in the very first verse of the very first chapter of the book of Hebrews. Not sure exactly who wrote it. But what they write, what they say here, and I know some of you have seen this before, but look at it with me. In fact, let's read it together. Look what it says. God, come on, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son. Okay, stop right there. What's that saying to you this morning? What's that declaring to you? Here's where I get the idea of, a, of, an, of an 8G overview of Scripture. That in times past, he operated this way. And in times going forth, that operation shifted into a new pattern, into a new purpose that ultimately painted for us a new picture that God in various times and in various ways has spoken in different mannerisms through different periods to accomplish different purposes. Some may have heard words such as dispensationalism or a covenantal approach to Scripture. All helpful when loosely held. I mean, you shouldn't want to get crazy about it and then begin to limit how God might want to operate. And, and what I'll be showing you in the weeks to come is how there are actually some, some overlapping correlations between, for example, a G2 and a G5 or a G6. And I won't go in order if you know anything about my teaching. It's sort of like some of you are looking at it going, okay, he's going to give us this today. I think I'm good for the summer. <laughs> That's like you praying over the groceries when you bring them home instead of at every meal, right? It's like, oh, we're good now. <laughs> but what we'll ultimately do is really, I think, together, I hope you'll join me on the journey, is kind of dig in and see how, in fact, Hebrews chapter 1 
verse 1 has been fulfilled over time. How he spoke then as compared to how he then spoke differently and how he's speaking now and promises then to show up and speak in the end. In fact, let's fill it in. Here's the overarching theme of the series. 1G is the start. 1G is the garden. And the way that he operated within the garden was very different than the way he operates outside of the garden. So we got to look at this. And I'll combine some of them, and I, I don't think it'll be overly intellectual. I really want it to be more transformational than informational. So, so you get this interaction that God has at the start in the garden. Compared to a brand new period of a restart, that being the flood, the times of of Noah, to which Jesus would then refer to and say, you know, in the end it's going to be very much like it was during the 2G generation. Following that is 3G, or the law, the law, or the first covenant, the time of Abraham, Moses, people in the wilderness, the way God interacted with his people during that time, very covenantial. He had a covenant with Adam in the garden called the Edenic covenant, the covenant of Eden, which was, which was then severed as they were removed from the garden, and a new covenant begins with Adam outside of the garden. Because the great thing about God is he doesn't stay in the garden, he goes with them. And a new covenant is formed with Adam that then leads up to Noah. And Noah, there's a Noahic covenant. There's a covenant that God makes with Noah that we really need to be aware of and see through the pages of Scripture that then shifts and changes for Abraham. A covenant with Abraham that takes us up then to Moses, incidentally, eight covenants. Eden, Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, and then a covenant for the promised land for those that had then, by a new generation, moved in and um, laid down the stakes and divided up the land into tribes, which takes us into a covenant that God makes with David that ultimately then promises to David that your seed, your heritage will always sit on the throne, which brings us to Jesus, a new covenant. And so you have this then broken down generationally with the way in which God then operates with his people at the start in the garden. And then during the period of time, incidentally, does anyone know Tower of Babel before Noah or after? So let's look at this. Let's know this. Let's let's realize how these things line up because ultimately that period of time is, is almost, in the words of Jesus, the do-over to which we are experiencing today. So we need to learn from history. You have this covenant of the law given to the people, first through the promise of the blessing to God through Abraham and his sons, this nation that is formed, now ultimately through Moses, who becomes the deliverer of a people who have been in bondage and slavery, and they are led all the way through the Old Testament all the way to the point of Malachi, to which then at the end of the book of Malachi, nothing is said for 400 years. What a period of silence that is. Only for that period and interaction of God to be broken by a new covenant, 
the arrival of the Messiah, the gospel. G4, 4G, a generation of interaction of God now through his son as the declared word of God in Hebrews chapter 1 would announce that in times past he's worked like this, to the fathers, through the prophets, but is now in these last days spoken to us by his son. New season, new covenant, the gospel being presented to the world. Followed by, by what? 5G, it's where we are today. We're living in 5G. It's the church, it's the, the generation of interaction through which God operates in and through his people, by his Holy Spirit in the bride, in the body, in the church, all the way through the Reformation and how that fits in. And, and, I, and I think right there we'll probably spend some time in, in, in just seeing the, the, the miraculous preservation and, and, and ultimate provision of, of, of this, the Bible, the Word of God, and how we got our Bible. And to just soak that in and, and ultimately see that there, there, there are some significant keys between what was happening prior to the flood in, in, in 2G and what's happening today in, in, in 5G. Prior to what to, what's it take? Because when you get to 6G, this is not the generation you still want to be around for. Right? It's after the rapture great tribulation period and season of time in which God is going to operate in a way vastly different than he has been operating in the previous sequences and periods and purposes of time. 6G, I pray with all my heart you're not here for it. No better way to describe it than hell on earth. It's not for the church. The church has been promised that the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But we need to know and realize and understand for our families and our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers what 6G is going to look like. And then you get to 7G. 7 being the number of perfection, that following that great rebellion of the period of, of, of tribulation, following the rapture is called the millennium. The millennium is that perfect reign of Jesus Christ on earth. Hallelujah. And no need to go to the airport. You can just think Maui in the millennium and be there. How awesome will that be? And we will reign with him as he sits on his throne in Jerusalem for a thousand years of perfection and peace here on planet earth. Can't wait for it. And no masks. Hallelujah. Only then to be followed by what? 8G. 8 is the number of new beginnings. And 8 is that picture and period of the end, that being heaven. And I want to get you excited for it. I mean, just thrillingly excited for what's to come as the Bible would declare it to us in Revelation 21 and 22. One last thought. Will's going to come back out. Maybe with his harmonica. Wasn't that cool? It's a little bit of church and Bob Dylan all wrapped up into one more. Uh, here's an overarching thought, just to kind of have you mull over with me uh, over the course of the coming days. That the purpose of the garden, the point of the garden, fill this in. Are, are you with me? Did we hit all the blanks? Yeah. 
Okay. The point of the garden was that God just simply wanted to be with his creation. He wanted to dwell with them. And so he creates everything that was created so that there could be fellowship, so that there could be relationship. The entire point and purpose of the garden was so that God could dwell with his people. Fast forward to a whole new period and season and see the overlap and theme being identical in the very purposes to which then Moses is instructed to build a tabernacle. So he builds this tabernacle and every time they would just sort of like make camp, the tabernacle was right there, ground zero in the, in the, in the, in the center of all of the ongoings, everything just sort of revolved right around. Why? Because the same purpose and point of the garden to dwell and to be with his people was the same purpose and point of the tabernacle. To dwell and be with his people. The whole arrival of the Messiah in a manger outside of Bethlehem was God's heart and desire to dwell and be with his people. In fact, the whole point of heaven is what? place then for all eternity. Wrap your brain around that, church. For us to dwell and and be with him. In fact, in Revelation, it says this. Look at this passage. Do you guys have that on the screens? Revelation chapter 7. In fact, let's stand. Let's just stand together. Come on, let's just claim that this is where we're headed, church. Are you going to be there? Are you going to be there with me? Come on, let's read this. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple, and he who sits on the throne will dwell among them. They're in the midst. Some of you have this picture of heaven that I don't know, I might be in, like barely And he's going to be like way over there, you know, like some of you that hit it on the green, but you're so far away from the hole. It's like, well, I'm here. He's going to be with you, intimately dwelling with you. You're going to be forever in his presence. And they shall neither hunger anymore, thirst anymore, and the sun shall not strike them, nor any heat. Check this out. For the lamb who is dwelling with them in the midst of the throne will shepherd them and lead them to living fountains of water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Come on, this has been sort of a season and period of of, of a lot of loneliness, of of a lot of tears. And they're tears in heaven. Tears of joy, I realize tears of joy. Some of you are like just weeping tears of joy. I can't even believe I'm here. Right, Spurgeon says that's the biggest surprise in heaven. Not who's there and who's not there, but that I'm there. Oh my gosh. But there'll also be tears of regret. Like, why didn't I really taste and see? Why didn't I really bank and believe more when I could on this buck? But the whole point of tears, the whole point of these tear ducts is to take what has sort of gotten cloudy and clogged up so that you would be able to see more clearly and brightly. And I pray that would just be the heart an outcome of a summer that we would devote together 
surveying through the scriptures and appreciating all the more the fact of the point of the garden was the very same fact and point of the tabernacle, the same fact and point of heaven. He just wants to be with you, just wants to dwell in you, just wants to have relationship with you. The whole point of today, this day, this is the day the Lord has made to enjoy his presence, to dwell with him, to be with him in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in, your, in, 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 in all that you live for. The point and purpose of COVID he just wanted to be with you and dwell with you Maybe like in ways that he hadn't been allowed to in a long, long time. And what the enemy meant for evil might just have very well been the thing that brought you home. And so Jesus, I pray, I just pray your blessing over this church and your anointing over this series that we would be able to declare even now that we are seeing you in a new light, in a new way. Praying together that you would reign and rule supremely in each and every heart that stands before you that is tuning in and watching this online. May it simply be a day and week and life devoted to dwelling in your grace and presence and allowing your word to come to life in all that we find ourselves living for. May we be the generation who declares that we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good. If you believe that this morning, church, can you put your hands together and give him praise in Jesus' name.